0: everyone and welcome back to Alzheimer Speaks Radio. I'm your host, Lori LeBay, and I'm thrilled that you could join us today. We are going to have a really interesting conversation about a new community that's built using the latest technology and just kind of this lifelong learning of what works and what doesn't in memory care. But before we get into that conversation, I always like to um, shout out to new peeps, who are listening in, who might not know what we're about. Uh, My own mom lived with dementia for 30 years. And so that's what got me into this space in 2009. We've been doing the radio show since 2011, I believe. And Alzheimer Speaks Radio is about sound information, not just sound bites. So our shows go for about an hour. We like to have an in-depth conversation and learn as much as we can. From all kinds of people. Today we're going to be talking with a professional in the industry. Sometimes we're talking with people with dementia, their families, researchers, advocates. Everyone is welcome here. So maybe, just maybe you can be our next guest. Feel free to reach out to me at uh, radio at AlzheimerSpeaks.com. Now I do want to do a couple of shout-outs. Uh, one, because you know we're in the midst of COVID. I do do a couple of support groups. Um, one is Arthur's Memory Cafe, sponsored by Arthur's Senior Care. And we meet twice a month at uh, 2 p.m. Eastern one central, that'd be noon Mountain Time and 11 Pacific Time on the second and the fourth Wednesday. If you're interested in joining us, that's a meeting for people with dementia and their care partners. Again, just reach out to me. And then Brookdale North Oaks and the Shoreview Community Center here in Minnesota sponsor a Caregiver Connect program. We've been meeting in person until last month. And I think we're going to meet virtually again this month. So if you'd like to be part of that, uh, we meet the last Wednesday of each month from 10 to 11 a.m. And you can sign up for that at 763-913-6140 or again, uh, feel free to... uh, to email me at radio at AlzheimerSpeaks.com. There is also a new research project out there that you can get involved with. It's called Picnic Health. So just go to picnichealth.com forward slash speaks and you can sign up and actually get $25. Now you're thinking, well, what am I signing up for? Well, what Picnic Health does is they collect and digitize all of your medical records into one online account. So you can consent to share. Your anonymized data from your records with medical researchers. And by examining this real world data from medical records, researchers can actually find out answers that they couldn't find in clinical trials. So know that your information and your story and history is important. And again, uh, if you are caring for someone with Alzheimer's disease, you can sign them up as well, as long as you've got consent to do that. Just go to Picnic Health dot com forward slash speaks and um, get your $25. I want to shout out, of course, to Dementia Map. I'm so proud of our global resource directory. It's growing every day. And if you are a business owner, if you have written a book or um, a song or have videos, any type of information and support we want available to people. And so you can sign up, there's a free listing or you can have an enhanced one if you want Uh, to share um, in the enhanced, you you get banner ads and you can share events and all kinds of things, write blog posts, et cetera. But I'm more than glad to give you a personal tour of that. We have 150 different categories for people to search. And like I said, it's growing every day. If you personally would just like to know how do I maneuver this site or have a support group, I, I do meetings on that as well, as well as marketing strategy um, sessions with business owners as well. So check out dementia map.com. and a couple of examples on there are Saltbox TV, which is a free online streaming service developed specifically for seniors. Coral Health, who is uh, allowing you to down two apps free, Music First and Choral Faith, and The Footbar Walker, who we're going to hear from next. I'm Peggy from Danville, Kentucky, and I'm 91 years old. The Footbar Walker revolutionized my care of George. It absolutely benefits the patient and the caregiver both, and that's the beauty of it. It's so easy to use. It folds up just like a dream. I got it in and out of the car without any effort at all. The saving that I made made from having to put him in a nursing home came to about $192,000.
1: The foot bar walker was designed not only to assist the patient, but also the caregiver. It's like having a portable pull bar everywhere you go. Patients have more control of their motion and pain management, and no lifting from the caregiver is required. Caregivers, put your foot down and quit hurting your own health, no matter which side of the foot bar walker you're on. It's a win-win. Call 731-924-4444 and visit our factory shop showroom in Paris, Tennessee. Or visit us online at thefootbarwalker.com.
0: Okay, so now I am thrilled to finally get to introduce you to Andrew Carl. He is a senior living consultant at the Virginian Senior Living Community in Fairfax. And he currently serves as an adjunct faculty and lead instructor for the Graduate Concentration in Senior Living Administration at Georgetown University in Washington, DC. He's been recognized as an industry expert for both nanotechnologies for older adults as well as memory care facility and program design. So, Andrew, I'm thrilled to have you with us today on the show. Um, This just sounds like a fascinating community that you have built and designed. Um, But before we get into that line of questioning, I always like to ask all my guests if they've been personally touched in their own family or circle of friends by dementia.
1: You know, it's hard to find anybody who hasn't at this point, but yes, I certainly have. Um, many years ago when I was first designing memory care facilities, I had a very uh, dear friend one of my best friends and her mother who I knew very well. She and I were good buddies um, and she had uh, Alzheimer's as it turns out. And we worked through that for several years. And then you fast forward to today, I have an 86 year old aunt who has recently been uh, diagnosed with some type of dementia. I'm Still trying to work that out. But I mean, it's something I've seen many times. Obviously, I've worked with hundreds, gosh, probably thousands of families by this point in time. <laughs> um, so we've been down this path many times. It is something that I feel very, very passionately about very, very strongly about, you know, they they live in a different world than us, and we need to design a world for them.
0: Exactly. And I'm going to have you talk about the Virginian in a little bit. But first, mm-hmm. let's talk about our aging adults out there, one of which I am, you know, I'm Me 62. Too. So I've got my ear to the ground more and more all the time on what's going on. And then with my mom having dementia for 30 years, my dad had brain cancer. So you, you know, you, you get in that whole caring circle, and you The whole world looks different to you once you've gone through that experience. So, let's start with what are some signs that people should look for in their aging parents or friends or siblings for memory loss?
1: You know, we have so many of these conversations over the years, and I've always told families basically to think two ways. First of all, keep it in context. Um, Yes, we're seeing a lot more cases out there, but remember the baby boom. Generation it wasn't just the United States. There were a lot of people who were very happy World War II was over. And in fact, the United States is something only like 45th of countries in the world with aging population over 65. So the whole world's aging. And yes, we're going to see more Alzheimer's and related dementia because it's a it's a disease of aging populations, right? So, I mean, we're going to more than double, I think, in the United States, I think about 6 million cases. And now they're looking at 14 million by 2050. Worldwide, by the way, um, they're looking at going from about 57, this just came out last week in the Lancet, a new study, 57 million cases currently worldwide. They're looking at 153 million cases Worldwide by 2050, which, if you think about it, is every man, woman, and child in England and, and Germany combined. I mean, that would be huge headline, right? Um, if, if we if we talk more about that. That said, it still remains an aging issue. So I think sometimes people worry so much uh, because they hear the numbers, but think about the age. You know, if you're 65 years old, the odds are. Two or 3%, right? It is a 97, 98% chance um, you really don't have dementia. It might be something reversible and you might want to talk to your doctor about that. Um, by 75, it's one out of every five. So 20%, but 80% not. Really, when you get to 80 or 85, that's what I tell folks first of all, how old your mom? How old your dad? Um, because we know empirically, we know statistically that we can narrow it down if we know their age. Now, obviously there are outliers, but start with the obvious, um, 80, 85, one in three, 90, 95, almost one out of every two. So, you know, start thinking about that unless you have some rare genetic gene, as you know is, is rare, but some people can have it or vascular dementia or something like that. You started with some strokes that you had at a very young age. I would really say, Start with the context. Now, once you have the context, then, yeah, let's get into it. You know, I mean, you and I were just joking a minute ago about how we forget things. Okay. But, you know, there's what I call illogical confusion not logical confusion. Look, as we age, our brains slow down, right? I don't run as fast as I used to. In fact, I can't remember the last time I ran. Um, <laughs> but but I also, you know, we, we get caught up thinking about other things. I've walked into a room with seven things on my mind and forgot why I walked into the room. I forgot where I put my car keys. But here's the difference. I did not not recognize what room I was in. I didn't find my car keys in the refrigerator. So when families come to me, you know, we start poking around at this kind of levels of confusion, regular normal aging confusion versus what I call illogical confusion. It doesn't make sense that someone would not remember a room in their own house. Um, or they're short-term, you know, repeating things from 10 seconds ago, two minutes ago. And I know, Laura, you go through this with conversations with a lot of folks. So look for things that just don't add up and don't make sense in terms of of normal aging. And when you begin to recognize that, and then it progresses, right? So um, uh, expressive aphasia, where they can't think of a word, a a, a simple word, you know, I can't remember where I put my what, you know, they can't remember the thing I put on my face so I can read. Well, I mean, people should remember, remember the word glasses. Um, So when you begin to see those things, frankly, what you're seeing is the beginnings of brain damage. And that's what dementia is, it's damage to the brain. Um, and you can begin to see that path.
0: Yeah, but I I also think, excuse me, I also think how many times I get together with friends, and somebody's missing a word, and we're all, we're all trying to do the word fine for it, you know, and then it it takes like all eight of us to figure it out at times, and sometimes. Yes,
1: and it's (laughs) on the tip of your tongue, and I've done that too, but again, it's kind of the obvious things where they really are struggling to, 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 find mm-hmm. a, an object, you know, this is, this is your semantic memory, right? Your mm-hmm. ability to retain facts, just to really piece together that word glasses, um, mm-hmm. um, which, which may be, you know, on the tip of your tongue, but when it happens all the time, what you're seeing is, is some damage to their semantic memory and their ability to retain facts.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, you know, the older I get, of course, the older my friends get. And so more people, I think, because there's so much news about it, yes. they're, they're more worried, um, you know, and you just gave a great example of friends that, you know, I go up the steps and I had, I had two friends in one week ask the same questions. I, I go to a room and I don't remember why I went in there. And I said, but what were you thinking about when you were walking into that room? And they name like 45 things. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah. Well, then that's pretty easy to understand why you didn't remember it. Really, it wasn't a priority for you at that time. And, you know, did you figure it out later? Oh, yeah. And you're right. It wasn't. Exactly.
1: And again, I don't run as fast as I used to, right? I don't, I mean, physically, but I mean, your brain processing speed does slow down. Now you can exercise your brain just like you exercise your body. Um, But the fact is, is, you know, at a certain point in time, Um, you know, you can give up your dreams of playing in the NFL. You're too old, uh, but that doesn't mean you can't function. It doesn't mean that you don't have a high quality of life, and it doesn't mean you have dementia. But what you're looking for is progression and and things, again, illogical confusion, too much confusion, really, really grasping at things that happened 30 seconds ago. Um, And then as it progresses through expressive aphasia, But then even receptive aphasia, where now they don't even catch the words you're saying, uh, that's the next level. And so that's where you see that their semantic memory is actually being lost.
0: Okay. Now, another question people ask all the time is, when do I know when it's time to start looking at, you know, assisted living or memory care options Mm -hmm. for a loved one? Well, How, How do you know?
1: Um, it's a, basically a checklist of four things that I walk families through and have done this. I do this with friends. I do this with my neighbors. I do, people, people like to ask and we kind of walk through the same thing every time. The first and foremost one is, is, is he or she safe? Period. Mm-hmm. I mean, the first thing is safety. Are they safe in their house? Are they going to leave the stove on? Are they going to eat spoiled food? Uh, Do they smoke? Are they in danger of burning the house down because they forgot to put the cigarette out? Do they still drive? I think you and I both know how many of these folks drive. Um, And it's scary. It's actually a myth that seniors are bad drivers. Statistically, they're safer than actually every other age group, especially teenagers. Um, But the reason is, is most voluntarily stop driving when they know they're not safe. Mm -hmm. But we do know that there are seniors who are driving who have no business driving. My aunt, unfortunately, just last week, got in an accident, ended up on the meeting in the middle of the road. Um, She's okay. Um, But my family and I were kind of relieved to find out that her car needs to be repaired now. And I've already talked to the repair shop to tell them to tell her that there are supply chain issues and we can't get the parts for a while Um, um, as we get her used to the idea of no longer driving. And then spam said, well, I did take mom and dad's keys away. Okay. Did they forget how to call a cab? Is there a bus station nearby? We read stories every year. You see in the news of people who got on a bus or literally called a cab. Um, So you have to think about first and foremost, are they safe? And you really got to pin that down. If they're not safe, you almost don't need to go to the other steps. Now, the other steps are important. Number two, can can they meet or can you help them meet their physical needs? You know, how are they eating? Um, Malnutrition, by the way, is one of those forms of reversible dementia. Um, You'd be surprised sometimes, um, even if they do have early stage dementia, how it can be exacerbated by poor nutrition. Um, I've actually had families over the years who, came into assisted living and were told their mom had Alzheimer's and we gave her three square meals a day. And all of a sudden she didn't have Alzheimer's. She was malnourished. So, you know, look at these things. Can they meet those? Can she bathe? Can she dress? Can she, she get to the toilet? You know, uh, can she manage her meds? And I'm saying she here, mm-hmm. um, but you know, then there's these uh, what we call, those are activities of daily living, but other physical things, what we call instrumental activities of daily living. Can they drive? Can they cook? Can they manage their money? A lot of scam artists out there who love to take advantage of seniors with cognitive deficits. Um, call them on the phone, get access to things. Um, can, again, can they manage their meds? Um, so can, can they meet their physical needs to stay at home? Can you help them do that? The third thing then is, is people underestimate, but can you meet their social and emotional needs? Loneliness among seniors is a worldwide epidemic of all seniors. Um, People over 65, retirees, and the study last year, some of them spend an average of 10 hours a day by themselves. I mean, that's basically every hour except when you're asleep. Mm -hmm. Um, And social isolation can result in depression, which, by the way, as you know, Lori, can mimic dementia or exacerbate dementia. So, it's one thing to say, okay, my mom's safe. And yes, she, we're getting her meals and bathing and dressing. Okay, but how much time is she alone? Or even when you're with her, how are you really engaging her? Because their world of engagement is very different than yours and mine. Mm-hmm. Are you really trained in how to engage them, to how, to how to validate them, how to really get to the root of what's bothering them that day? And you know, mm-hmm. unless you're trained in that, it can be very, very hard to keep them engaged and the kinds of activities that will help them. And this is why they sleep all day and they're up all night. Um, Sundowning, you know, people who, Alzheimer's who are up during the night is also frankly kind of a myth. If you manage their day right, you'd be amazed how little sundowning takes place. So, And then the fourth thing is just, I look at the families and say, look, we've talked about safety. We've talked about their physical needs. We've talked about their social needs. What about your needs? um, we know that there's about 11 million caregivers of people with Alzheimer's dementia in the United States. They average, I think, about 20, 24, 25 hours a week on average. However, in the last year of care, it jumps up to 65 hours a week. Well, that's nine hours a day. You know, so can, how can you do this? So these are the four things that I walk families through, had this conversation many times. Sometimes they have answers. Sometimes by the time we get done, they realize, you know, we need professional help. We're, we're in over our heads here. My response to that is, yes, this is, you know, these are people who have a primary or secondary clinical diagnosis. And it is complicated. And sometimes you need professional help.
0: I liked you talked about the the family's needs, too, because as they get stressed, I mean, that's when abuse can happen, too. Within yes. a family, even though a family is very loving, when people get stretched and, and pulled to their limits, things can happen. And the the social aspect, I think, was really important, too, especially with COVID now. It's just um, so crazy. But, you know, I was in real estate for 25 years, and I helped people transition. That's what I did for 25 yeah. years. I specialized yeah. in this market. And yet, when it was time for my mom to move oh. I could do it. Yeah, I was different. I had more knowledge. I mean, I I fooled myself up one side and down the other, and it came to the point where she ended up moving into a community. And of course, as a family member, I was struggling. But I'll never forget the day. And I've never heard, I've never heard it pitched this way. I I hear it pitched about social isolation and engagement. But what I experienced, what what made me be able to let go and feel comfortable was I walked into an activity one time and the activity director was just sitting there with like an Oprah magazine that was four pages out and it was just a garden. It was all flowers. And in a horseshoe around her, there was probably, you know, eight, 10 residents. And they were all telling stories about gardening and flowers and color. And I remember standing in that doorway going, what I can't give her is I I can never be her peer because I'm always her daughter. And that is something that peer interaction really let me feel more comfortable with it all because my mom was always so social and her friends were really important. And we try to fill that in. But you know, when we've got another life to live, it's really, it's really difficult to do. And
1: you feel the pressure, right? And you feel mm -hmm. the obligation. And of course there's an obligation. But you know, Mm -hmm. as I've said to families, there's an obligation to do what's best for your mom. Yeah. You know, I've had them come in and, you know, they got bags under their eyes and their shoulders are slumped Mm -hmm. and they're physically exhausted. They're mentally exhausted. They're financially exhausted, you know, and at some point as we go through those four things and then I'll look at them and I'll just say, why are you trying to do by yourself? Mm -hmm. What I have 24 seven staff and all of this, you know, science-based programming and this facility Mm -hmm. design and this whole world that is built just for people like your mom and dad, um, you know, would, would you, if you, if you're you not a doctor, do you treat yourself?
0: You yeah. know,
1: and then and then they kind of look at you and they realize, you know, there is a point in time where this is really clinical. This mm-hmm. is really therapeutic. And just like you would call a doctor, um, you you know, you need to maybe tap into the people who do this for a living. Now you need to make sure you find the best people. Um, there are good doctors, average doctors, bad doctors. Um, and so that's the next thing we try to help.
0: So let's talk about that. How do you evaluate making a move for an assisted living or, or a memory care? What do you look for? What are, what are the, what are the options? Most people don't even know what the options are out there within because, you know, they think, well, if it's memory care, they're all the same and they use the same terms, but delivery styles and technique and things I, I have found to be really different. So what do you tell people?
1: I mean, I tell, for, do your homework. This is a big decision, um, as you know. I also teach at Georgetown University. I sign homework all the time. Uh, you know, do your home, do your homework. Um, this is a big and important decision, and but there are tips that you can give people. Um, look around. You know, you just said something a minute ago that is very tr- true. A lot of these communities look pretty much the same. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's like uh, the difference between a Hilton and a Marriott and a Sheraton. You can take the sign down, put up a different sign. Nobody would know. But you really got to get into the details and you've got to do your homework and really know what you're looking for. Uh, One thing I tell them is, is don't go to just one place, you know, visit two or three places so you can compare, have them do an assessment. Now they're required to do an assessment, but who says you have to accept the first assessment? Um, get two assessments, get three assessments, get four assessments. They don't cost anything. Um, but, you know, sometimes you're going to get a community, frankly, that happens to have one memory care apartment available and no assisted living available. And they're pretty convinced your mom really needs memory care. All right, we'll go to two or three other places because maybe what she needs is a what's called a bridge program, mm-hmm. which is kind of pre-memory care. Um, in a community where they can give her some extra attention, but not necessarily full memory care. Maybe it turns out she really just could start an assisted living and get those three square meals a day and amp up her fuel and, and do some other things. So I would say, first of all, get more than one assessment. The same people who will go to five car dealerships to get the best price on a car um, will only go to one memory care. No, mm-hmm. go to go to a few. Um, number one, number two, when you're there, know what you're looking for. Um, start with the staff. What are their credentials? And you can ask about staff ratios, but to be honest, every state, almost every state has mandated staff ratios. I can tell you what it is. It's eight to one, <laughs> uh, Eight to <laughs> one staff ratio, eight, eight uh, residents to one staff person on the day shift, probably 12 to one in the evenings. And if they're asleep at night, like they're supposed to maybe 20 to one, but you're gonna hear that number six you know seven or eight over and over but what are their qualifications is there a memory care director who's dementia certified um um, that's now there are several different ways to uh, dementia certification programs out there as you know Mm laurie um but you know what they're all pretty good but is the person in charge a certified dementia professional makes a big difference if there is anybody in the community a certified dementia professional I have some communities where the director is certified, but the staff are also certified. Mm -hmm. Um, So so ask these questions on their training. Um, How long, what's the staff turnover? Um, This Mm -hmm. is a hard job. Yes, there's staff turnover. But what you're looking for is more longevity than other people, Um, um, you know, so that you're not constantly changing staff on mom or dad and making them even more confused when they get used to somebody. The third thing, after the assessment and the staff, is to then ask them about their programming. Ask to see their activity schedule, but ask them what's behind it. Um, The Virginian, by the way, is managed by a company, I think you probably know Life Care Services, Mm -hmm. LCS out of Des Moines, but LCS is the largest uh, provider of full continuum senior living communities in the United States, they have 140 communities nationwide. Uh, They just won the J.D. Power Award for the third year in a row as the highest rated um, full continuum provider, independent living provider in the United States. So they're a good company. But what they also have for memory care is a program called Heartfelt Connections. What is Heartfelt Connections? Well, it's basically science-based, empirically-based training for every single employee in LCS who works with memory care residents nationwide. Well, that means something, doesn't it? Um, You know, And if you're visiting a community that Well, what's your programming? You know, what do you do every day? Well, we just kind of, you know, we do this, we do that. Does it have a structure? Does it have science behind it? Ask these questions. Um, And then the third thing is the facility design. And this is the kind of the missing piece. You really have to have all three. You have to have the right staff. You have to have the right programming. But then you have to have a facility that is designed for their world. And mm-hmm. this is where the senior living industry, and I would say to people watching this, this really does vary. Mm-hmm. Uh, we are still learning even after 30 years. I started, I came into senior living 25 years ago um, and was shocked at, frankly, how little the industry knew about memory care. That it was basically, you know, we built these beautiful homes for your mom and it looks like a hotel. Well, These people aren't living in a hotel. They're living in a different world. So, you know, really start to look at the physical environment because unless you've built a house for them, that makes sense. Mm
0: -hmm. Um,
1: Then the programming, the staffing really can't maximize the work that they do.
0: And that is key. And I can't wait to see, you know, the differences with the Virginian because um, it makes such a huge, huge difference. One thing I want to add is you talked about The structure of the programs, but I think it's also important to ask about the flexibility within the programming, Mm -hmm. so that they can be individualized as well. Because structure and routine—and this is one of my favorite quotes from Harry Urban, "Living with Dementia." He says, "You know, routines are great, and I really like them. But you have to know whose routine it is. Because if it's your routine, it doesn't matter to me. You have to go by my routine and what what my natural flow is. Or we're gonna we're gonna bat heads at times, and so." Being able to be spontaneous and not getting angry because you can't check a box off at a certain time and really understanding the person.
1: Not only is that right, um, I will tell you that the very first slide in the very first class I teach each semester on Alzheimer's and memory care uh, says that uh, people with dementia are like snowflakes, no two are alike. And the point of that is, is no matter what we talk about moving forward, they are and remain individuals, and they Mm -hmm. are unique, and yes, there's some commonality in things that we can do, yes, but you can never forget who they are as an individual, and you have to find ways to accommodate that, so there are things that we can do for the group, but there are things that have to be done individually, understanding them. I will tell you that at the Virginian, we incorporated a program called Life Bio. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you're familiar with LifeBio.
0: Just had Beth on the show um, well, not there too you long go. ago. <laughs> um,
1: but I mean, this is where, you know, we, they interview um, a set of questions. They interview the family. Mm-hmm. And they get basically this individual's history. And they put together a book, right, with pictures and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, but what we do with the Virginian, of course, is, is we not only mandate that for our residents, we mandate that every staff member reads it. First of all, the stories are fantastic, I mean, just reading about where they grew up and their careers and their families and and their very fascinating lives. But by gathering that information up front, having it in a book form, having everybody read it um, about every resident, you can see where that would obviously escalate at a very high level, your ability to communicate with them as an individual.
0: Yep. What, what was important in their life. Yeah. Um, yeah. Life bio does a great job. Let's talk about memory exercises. Cause a lot of people talk about that. Do you recommend them? Do you think they help? Uh, you know, people are all over the board with, with uh, different games and, you know, electronics and puzzles. There's just a huge mixture on that. What are your thoughts?
1: I've done a lot of work in this, not just in memory care, but basically with these brain training technologies. Um, I coined the term, as you know, 15 or so years ago. I call it nano technology, as in technology for your Nana. Um, mm-hmm. It's a little play on, you know, nano technology is molecular engineering. So it's a little play on words, but Oh, even 15 years ago as part of my work at the university, I was really getting, looking at these brain games and these things that came out. Um, The the short version is uh, you can exercise your brain even if you have Alzheimer's and dementia, you you can exercise it. Um, We don't know based on the science exactly yet. We really need some longer term studies, Uh, but we're beginning to see some evidence that it it certainly can be positive. It Mm -hmm. doesn't hurt. Um, mm-hmm. people with dementia though, it's a little different category. It's really more about engagement because mm-hmm. if they're not engaged, it doesn't matter. Um, mm-hmm. so for me, I think the difference has been, um, you have to find, um, uh, activities or games or brain training things that they enjoy, frankly. And then mm-hmm. the rest of it just goes from there. And then obviously focusing on skills they retain, Yeah, uh, you know, that singing, right? There's a program called SingFit that we also mm-hmm. use at the Virginia, mm-hmm. uh, because we know that sing fit is one of those programs where you can really engage them, and they like to sing, especially mm-hmm. songs they remember from long ago, um, but really, it's about engaging them. I know we'll talk about it maybe a little bit, but we just implemented at the Virginia a program called OB.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, OB is brand new in the United States. We're the first community, one of the first in the country to have it, I think the first one, this side of the Mississippi or something. We're in Virginia. (laughs) Um, It's in very few communities, but I knew this, this company from before they're out of Israel. Um, They've been wildly successful in Europe with this. OB is basically a hand motion game. Mm -hmm. There's a projector in the ceiling. It projects video games on a table and you move your hands and you can play. You can mm-hmm. sweep leaves off the table. You can pop bubbles, right? Things like that. And you can have four players and you can keep score, not keep score. But what they did was is they've developed all oh, four or five dozen different games mm-hmm. um, and, and, and memory care specific. So it has like four levels of difficult. If, the, if it's too mm-hmm. difficult, you can make it easier.
0: Mm-hmm. If
1: it's too easy, you can make it harder. And then you can gather all this data as they're playing. Mm-hmm. And you can really gather over time a real sense of your residents, not just as a group, but as individuals. Hey, Peggy really likes this one, uh, but she doesn't stay engaged very long at all with this one. And John likes this one. Mm-hmm. And it's that kind of data is incredibly important in terms of really using technology, not just to play games, but gather the data that helps us really zero in on them as individuals. Um, and, and rather than just everybody today, we're gonna we're gonna do you know we're gonna color some pictures for 20 minutes. Mm-hmm. Well, we don't really know if that makes a difference, but with technology and data, we we can find out what's really making a difference.
0: Oh yeah, Obi is cool. There's another one called um, Inspired Inspirations. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to say they're over in Scotland. That's pretty cool too, and. That one doesn't have any subscription fees, which a lot of times are really costly. And they, uh, they just have a wide variety of things. I won't get into it, but that, that one is pretty neat too. Let's talk about the, the facility design. There's, there's so much out there, you know, it's like, it's, it's hard to know even where to, where to find everything because this industry is growing so fast. And, you know, I, I love that, um, you know, you've been consulting, you know, to work on this, this advanced memory care building that has this full spectrum, not just memory care, but of senior living, you know, as a whole. Mm -hmm. And my understanding is you guys spent like $56 million in renovation in this. So, so let's hear about the technology, the design, you know, the, the therapeutics and, Why it's so different and why it's so cutting edge.
1: Sure. Well, I'll do a little bit of background and then I've got a few slides I can share. Um, But, um, you know, my background was originally I was a hospital uh, administrator, hospital CEO and specifically rehabilitation hospitals, physical rehabilitation. And I happened to work at a hospital in San Antonio that had one of the leading brain injury programs in the United States, one of the leading brain injury neurologists in the United States. Um, And he taught me a lot. So long before something like assisted living even existed, I'm kind of dating myself now, um, uh, but we knew that there were certain things um, that we could do with cases of brain injury. So I came into senior living And frankly, was kind of shocked 25 years ago. Um, But then it made sense. This was an industry that was more hospitality focused, building things that weren't nursing homes, right? That was our goal. Um, And that was great. We did need places that didn't look like nursing homes, but they really didn't understand the therapeutic milieu that's necessary for somebody who, again, has a form of of brain damage. Um, And so, um, um, so I took a lot of concepts that I had learned, frankly, in the brain injury rehab world, and designed our first memory care program. And then moving forward, I think the industry has worked really hard. We've all worked really hard for 25 years to really develop now in the United States, frankly, the best memory care facilities in the world. Uh, We've actually gotten very, very good at this for those of us who have gotten very, very good at it. Now, what I would say to your listeners are, there is still a wide gap. Mm -hmm. There are still providers who frankly put a, a keypad on the door to secure the door And really, there's not much difference between the assisted living side and the memory care side. There are providers, quite frankly, who have gone too far, where they've built communities that are, frankly, almost cartoonish and over the top. And just how much stuff they have um, that, frankly, is is way too much stimulus and way too distracting for folks. Um, So what you've got to create is is an environment that's home-like but also very specific to their needs. And that's what we're trying to do with The Virginian. Um, I can put up the slides here in a minute, um, but what this is called is intentional design. And what we're doing at The Virginian is trying to focus on what I call the triad. And that's building a physical environments that are safe, that are directional and are therapeutic. And what I can show you is some of the things we're doing now. we're still, by the way, under renovation. Um, I've got a courtyard. I don't even have pictures of yet. That would, uh, it's really great. Um, But I can show you some of the things we're doing inside the walls and and hopefully that'll be helpful.
0: You know, one of the things I do want to mention, you know, you, you had said that they really look pretty a lot of these buildings and what, what always frustrated me because when I was in real estate, I, I worked for, for new construction and there were so many misconceptions out there. Like, like seniors thought, well, they don't know how to build a rambler or a ranch because everyone was doing a two story or a multi level. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it took me two years to convince my builder to do something different when they're like, well, of course we know. I said, but the public assumes you don't at this right. point. And you know, you really have to listen to people. And, and what would frustrate me is people would be ooing and eyeing, um, and if it was a single family home or it was a community about how beautiful it was. But it was really about getting the person who was either making the decision or assisting the person making the decision feel comfortable yes. and guiltless about moving in, you know, like the big whirlpool of tubs that are just hazardous, you know, for an, an older person to get in and out of or to clean and mm-hmm you know, or the, the high vaulted ceilings that, you know, have echo and um, cobwebs and all of those types of things really not thought through in terms of who is this for. And, yeah. and so um, I love that you're talking about the safety and the therapeutic when you talk directional, what do you mean by directional?
1: So it's all about wayfinding. Okay, Um, But again, I appreciate your point. Uh, I think we're both on the same page. And look, everybody in my industry is Mm well-intended. All right. But we had nothing 30 years ago. Mm -hmm. And 30 years is not very long. Um, We're still evolving this. Um, But, you know, unfortunately, we've seen some overshoots where it's more props than it is practical. Mm
0: -hmm. And I
1: would say to families, look, you know, be careful. You walk in, for example, it's very common to have what are called these life skill stations all around, right? There's a, a sewing station or a, ba- a bassinet nursery or an office with a desk. All those things are fine, by the way, depending. Mm-hmm. But what you need to ask is, when's the last time it was used? Mm-hmm. Is it just a prop? You know, a nursery, by the way, is very popular to have, little babies and rocking chair and all that. But if no one's using it, mm-hmm. um, you know, so if you have these life skill stations, is it just a prop or is it because it's applicable to the people you're serving? Um, But I mean, I've got to tell you, I see an awful lot of life skill stations with an awful lot of dust on them. Um, Mm -hmm. Is there a better way we can do that? You know, what we've done at the Virginian is, is we've created lounges with themes, mm-hmm. um, not a little station. And I'll, I'll show you what we're doing, for example. Um, we saw a big thing, oh, maybe 10, 15 years ago called these snozzling rooms where mm-hmm. you would put them in a, a room and with no windows or, and, and light. And you would put on these lava lamps and these sounds and these smells. Well, I mean, my gosh, it was kind of, you know, bizarre. Uh, what we've done is we've created a sensory lounge. Mm-hmm. you're not closed in a room but you are in a lounge and in a much softer way and i'll show you a picture we can create that sensory experience but without doing it in a way that you know to be honest with you it was kind of bizarre mm-hmm. uh, much more rational approach so this is what we're we we're evolving as an industry to create these better environments
0: yeah I, and there's been great examples out there of of the sensory room i remember going i can't remember who it was but they made uh Kind of a beach room, and they had a picnic table, and they had sand on the floor, and yeah. they had the waves rolling, and, and all that. But then the the cat in the community thought it was a big <laughs> kitty litter box, and so that didn't work so great, you know. So it, it's it's knowing all of your all of your environment and with
1: things. I am like familiar that. with that community, and that was that is a cool idea, by the way.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah,
1: uh, it's basically a virtual reality room. -hmm. Which is different than the the Snowsley rooms, which again, Mm -hmm. I'm sorry, maybe it's just me, but they're so over the top and so kind of almost like a a weird discotheque or something. Um, You know, that's not a world where, you know, they need to be. You can do it in other ways. And again, make it home like, but make it purposeful. This is what I mean by intentional design. Everything we're doing at the Virginia, literally Mm -hmm. down to the doorknobs, has a purpose
0: everything.
1: Um, And so we can look at examples
0: of that. I love learning why things are done. And I, like I said, I, in real estate, I took tours all the time in this business. I take tours all the time. I can only say in all of those years, which is, you know, over uh, probably close to 40 years, there was one tour that stood out to me. And it was a tour that explained, this is why we chose this type of chair. And this is why we chose these dishes. Yes. And and I think we get away from explaining, which people really need to know, because you're sharing knowledge when you're doing that, instead of just saying it looks pretty. Yes, exactly. So let's see your slide.
1: All right. So we are in the middle of renovations. There's an exterior courtyard that won't be done for a couple of months that is we could talk about it in a minute, but it's the coolest one I've ever done. Um, but let's look indoors. And again, intentional design and what I call the triad. And this is the same thing I teach my grad students at Georgetown, by the way. Uh, we work through this. Um, but safe directional therapeutic. Let's look at safety. And as you know, let's look at you know the entrance and the exit, right? Mm-hmm. Now we know to camouflage that. Um, but look at the job we did on this unit. So we, we can see where we've made this. This is the main exit and entrance to the mm-hmm. unit. Now, obviously we don't, it's one thing to secure it. Here's the keypad right here. Mm-hmm. It's another thing to make it invisible. You know, if you can secure the door, but if the residents can see it, they're just going to hang out there all day. Mm-hmm. Uh, we know that they wander. We know that they elope and, you know, we need to address that. So let's make it invisible. What did we do here? We hid it by making it match the wall, by putting a chair, a chair rail on it, by putting a baseboard on it. We put it in the middle of the wall, not the end of the hall. We didn't put it here. We made it so that you would walk right past it. So we've secured it, we hid it. But the third thing we did was distraction. And this mm-hmm. is what people often forget. So what we have here, if you're coming down the hall this way, the only item of color on the entire wall, this is bright red Washington Senator's pennant. Um, So this is part of our reminiscence lounge, but this is like a bullfighter waving a red cape, right? We're distracting them. If if you stand 150 feet down this hallway, you will see that pennant. And it is the only thing in color on purpose. Um, We don't want a bunch of stuff here. We want them to focus on this. senators. They come down the hall. You can see over here a blow up of it. Um, not only is it the Washington Senators, which for these folks was their team. Uh, they don't exist anymore, but it was their okay. team. But here's John F. Kennedy throwing out the first pitch. We know they have very powerful memories of John F. Kennedy. Um, here's the team photo. Here's the old Griffith Stadium. I actually had one resident walk up and say, my seats were right here. Well, that stadium, <laughs> that stadium was torn down 50 years ago. Uh, but he remembers the seats. So what we've done here is not only secured it and hid it, We've distracted them in this direction with one simple thing, one simple bright red pennant, and then drawing their attention to reminiscence—you know, things that they recall from their long-term memory. Come in the other direction, which is this way. It's a little hard to see, but this is—we call this retail reminiscence road. These are all Northern Virginia, Washington D.C. businesses that no longer exist: um, Gifford's Ice Cream, the Lee Highway Drive-In. Um, Heckingers hardware, people's drugs. So even coming the other direction, and I'll show you how we're even pulling them around this corner even farther, we're, we're just distracting them from the door on both sides. So this is a classic example of how very subtly, this isn't over the top, this isn't a ridiculous amount of stimulus, a very plain looking hallway, but look what we've done to hide this entrance. Um, you, you could walk right by this and never realize it's there. That's going to minimize frustration of the staff, frustration of the residents. Um, Mm -hmm. If they don't know the entrance or exit is there, then they have other things to do.
0: Yeah. The other thing that you've done is, you know, with the baseboard being a different color and in the railing. Um, and so many people don't know this, but I remember, you know, years ago they used to roll the carpet up the walls, and then people didn't know that the the floor ended and yes. the wall was there because yes. of depth perception, and they would they would charge yes. into the wall. So yes. you've given them cues for that as well.
1: So and again, Laurie, we're keeping this very pleasant looking. Mm-hmm. This, by the way, this is a whole we call a reminiscence lounge. I'll talk about it in a minute. It's the reception area. Uh, but the whole area is a very nice throwback to the 1950s, 60s. Um, but it's done in very subtly. We're not beating them over the head with it. It's not cartoony. Mm-hmm. It's not a, a Hollywood prop. It's a room that just happens to um, be set back in time a little bit in ways that distract them from, again, from that entrance. Mm-hmm. Here's some directional stuff. You asked about directional. This is about wayfinding. So what we're using is is you know breaking down as you know, people with Alzheimer's related dementia, um, they lose what's called their spatial literacy. Mm-hmm. Um, they can't define spaces and very large open spaces are very confusing to them. If you have a long hallway and all of the doors are exactly the same, uh, w- you know, which room is, is Sarah's? You know, Sarah's gonna come out of her room way down here and she's gonna go on her walkabout. And about 15 minutes later, she has no idea how to get back. So, you've seen this before, but now what we've but you also can't make every door a different color. That's also too confusing. What we've done, and I've done for years, is about every six or eight doors that I create a different neighborhood and very long hallways. This particular hallway obviously is yellow, and farther down, it's kind of a burnt orange. On the other wing, we have two wings, it's blue and green. Um, but by dividing the hallway in half and then into quarters, when Sarah goes on her walkabout, I've already got her through 75% of her walk in terms of finding her own way back to her apartment. Now, when she gets to her apartment, how do we get her through her own door? Well, by continuing the theme. We have the memory box outside the door, right, with her photo, preferably a photo of her from years ago. Uh, The reminiscence bump would suggest that they probably going to recognize themselves from their 20s, 30s, 40s. um, But we can put that here, but in the same color. When you go into the apartment at the Virginian, very typical in memory care to have a contrast wall to help show, you know, bring out the bed, right? Um, But well, why not make it the same color as the door? Why, Why is it a different color most of the time when you walk in? How about when you go in the bathroom? We know A lot of science will say, have a contrast wall so that the toilet stands out, so that the vanity stands up. Well, why not make it the same color? And no one's ever done this before. I think the only person who's ever done this, I actually matched the toilet seat. Mm -hmm. Um, We know that in memory care, almost always in a good memory care, they'll have a contrast toilet seat because the white toilet seat disappears. Well, why not make it the same color? What I'm working on here at the top is something called space retrieval. Uh, we're focusing on their procedural memory, which is also habitual memory. Procedural memory, as you know, is the last type of memory they retain. It's why Tony Bennett can get on a stage and sing songs from memory for an hour, even though he's far into the stages of Alzheimer's uh, because it's like riding a bicycle. It's hardwired into their brain. What we can do with Joanna is we can teach her to not only look for the yellow neighborhood, to not only look for her yellow box with her picture to get her into the room, but even when she's in her room, which could be a significant amount of time, she's constantly being reminded, even when she goes to the bathroom, that <laughs> she lives in the yellow neighborhood. And we can remind her five minutes apart when she first moves in, every 20 minutes, hey, Joanna, where do you live again? Yellow, hey, Joanna, yellow. And then 30 minutes apart. Couple hours apart, couple days apart. Eventually, we can get the color of her neighborhood hardwired into the procedural memory, which is the last type of memory she retains. So you look at these pictures and you think, well, that's kind of a pretty yellow, but it's intentional. It's very, very important that all of these things match in color, whether it's orange or yellow or blue or green, because we can help Joanna find her own way to her room. That boosts her self esteem. That minimizes frustration. She's not, you know, this resident's always walking into the other rooms. The other residents get upset. Oh, there's somebody in my room. The staff get frustrated. All we ever do is go get Joanna out of other people's rooms. We did that to her. If we had simply designed the environment properly in terms of giving her direction and wayfinding, we could have tapped into her retaining memories, memory skills. And taught her how to find her room on her own and make her very, very happy with her life. So that's just one example of wayfinding that we've done at the Virginian. And again, I've been doing this 25 years. I've never seen another memory care that matches the toilet seats to to the color. Um, We worked very hard on that.
0: Yeah, so down the hall, then are there? It looks like they're kind of the 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 red boxes, and it's, then do the kind, doors? Of a
1: burnt, kind of a burnt Bur- orange, actually.
0: Okay, and so then does the door match that color? Yes, and is the that their accent the, wall too? Okay, I just wanted hall, to
1: make sure. And believe it or not, Lori, even the toilet seats.
0: Okay, well, I love that. I think that makes <laughs> sense. Instead of, you know, making making things stand out. Um, And just your lighting is nice and bright, but it looks like you've got lighting that doesn't really glare either. Um, um,
1: And obviously, you know, and thank you, lighting, obviously, as we age, um, everything, when you're 85, no matter what light it is, it's twice as dark as what you and I see. mm -hmm. Um, And that applies to people with with dementia as well. So yes, a lot of natural lighting, but also we work very hard on the interior hallway lighting. Mm -hmm. Yes, that is a very bright hallway. By the way, that's also circadian lighting. Mm -hmm. Um, It's programmable, and we can talk about that in a bit, but the entire facility is on circadian lighting. So the light comes up naturally inside the hallways in the morning. It's the brightest in midday, goes down at night, and it helps them with their natural rhythms.
0: Love that. Love that. Does that that go into the rooms as well?
1: Yes, Yes, it's in the resident rooms as well. Okay. Um, and if they bring their own lamps, they can plug it into a, an adapter that will tie it into the circadian lighting. Wow. Cool. Um, and we can do that in the bathroom. We can do that room by room. We can do that hallway by hallway. We can do that lounge by lounge. Um, it's a very sophisticated, this is the most state-of-the-art circadian lighting system um, out there. In fact, we're one of the first uh, memory care communities to even have it. Neat. There's been other circadian lighting systems, but frankly, they weren't very good until we found this one being used at a luxury hotel in New York, actually. Um, the owners found it um, and brought it in, and, and, and when we saw it, we said yes, because I frankly wasn't you know a little dubious about some of the circadian lighting in the past. But this one has taken it to such a whole new level that we wanted to be the very first memory care to have it, and so we are.
0: Neat, neat.
1: Here's another example of directional. I was talking a minute ago about dividing the hallway, into, you know, two colors. So this is the other wing where you're looking at the blue neighborhood. But part of that is, is let's say it's Joe. All right, we got him to the blue and we can get him to his memory box, but how does he remember if his room's on the left or the right? Well, little subtle thing, but guess what? On this wing, all the photos on the left side are landscapes and all the artwork on the right side are animals. On the other wing, I showed you a minute ago, by the way, all of the artwork on the one wall is people, and on the other wall is buildings. And so this is another way that we can break it down. Remember, their spatial literacy has been depleted. Mm -hmm. So we can get Joe on his walk, or Sarah on his walk, we can get him to the right neighborhood, then we can get him to the right side of the neighborhood, then we can get him to the right memory box and into their room. And they've done that all by themselves, without any help from us. Um, their life is dramatically improved. The milieu is dramatically improved. Um, and we can do it in these very subtle ways. It doesn't. If you were just walking down the hall, you wouldn't notice that we had done that. Mm-hmm. But we can teach Joe and Sarah that we've done that. We can mm-hmm. teach Joe to look for the deer, not the, not the mountain. And these are things that we can do to improve their life. But without, again, without being cartoony, without being over the top, very subtly in ways that, as you so well said a few minutes ago, if we didn't explain it, you wouldn't even notice it. Yep. Um, Here's the therapeutics. So we've talked about safety and and wayfinding. Here's some therapeutics. I talked a minute ago about how we don't have life skill stations, but what we developed are lounges that have themes, so entire rooms. Um, so this is the Reminiscence Lounge, and you saw some of it a minute ago. Mm-hmm. This is the main reception area, but all of the photos are black and white on purpose, and they are all um, throwbacks. And because it's Washington, D.C., of course, in this, um, I don't know if you can see here in the one setting, but this is the Lincoln Memorial, mm-hmm. uh, but specifically buses crossing the Memorial Bridge coming back into Virginia in 1959 that have the names of Virginia bus stops on them. (laughs) And before there was a subway in Washington, D.C., these are the buses they rode. Um, and so you, I actually had a a staff member the other day, she was putting up we just put this picture up and she said, Oh my God, Westover on that bus. I used to live at Westover. So, you know, this is, these things are done on purpose. These are not just random photos. Um, this is the Capitol, but back in the day where you could literally drive up and park in front of the Capitol and walk in. Um, this is the Capitol they remember. This is old hot shops, old Marriott hot shops that um, was in Virginia. And these are those other retailers I talked about. So all of the photos, there's one of the Pentagon. Back in the day, if you lived in Northern Virginia, you probably worked at the Pentagon. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, I had a resident um, the other day I was there and I know he's a retired colonel. And I said, did you ever work at the Pentagon? He said, yep, 20 years. Um, but then he pointed, he said, but that's the South parking lot. I parked in the North parking lot. <laughs> so, so, you know, but that was a photo of that parking lot from the early 60s. And that's literally when he parked there. So these are things we've done in this lounge. Uh, This is a really cool thing I just wanted to tell you about. This is obviously a countertop, but we worked very hard. These are one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight high school yearbooks from high schools in Northern Virginia in the late 50s and 1960s. eBay is a wonderful thing. I wish 25 years ago when I was designing memory care, I could have had access to eBay. Because I went on eBay and found all of these old yearbooks. These are the high schools they went to school at. And so instead of just having books on a shelf, families will come into this reception area, immediately look at these black and white photos, immediately go grab, I had a, one daughter came in and she went and grabbed this yearbook. She said, oh my gosh, that's my alma mater. She went to McLean High School. Um, and she said, now this was before me, but she spent 15 minutes flipping through that yearbook, forgot to visit her mom. So this... <laughs> This is a room, not just for the residents, but for families. When you walk into this one room, you are immediately taken back in time. And the last part here, this is a rounded bookshelf that intentionally has every item on this shelf is from the home or office from the 1950s and 60s. So here's some old cameras, here's an old photograph, here's an old typewriter, this yellow phone. We set this up the first day and one of our residents, I came in, she had picked up this yellow phone and was sitting at the table dialing it. And people said, why'd she do that? And I said, well, because she probably had that exact yellow phone in her house. Um, So these are the things that we did that everything is intentional. And by the way, yes, they're welcome to pick up some of these items, not the typewriter because it's too heavy, Um, Mm -hmm. but some of these items, um, this little brownie camera. I picked up one day and there were three or four residents sitting behind me and I turned around to ask them if they remembered this camera and every one of them did this. (laughs) (laughs) Because their connection to that was if you pointed that camera at them, you were taking their picture. So I went ahead and clicked a picture of each one of them and they all brightened up and smiled. So look at the power of this room. Mm-hmm. By the way, up here, this is an old hat box from a department store called Woodward and Lothrop, which is very big. Okay. They don't exist anymore, but I found this hat box with the hats on eBay. So, this is a room where they're going to walk in and again, and then we can move on. Everything in this room is a memory for them. That mm-hmm. they can, instead of just having a reception area, sons and daughters are going to walk in, residents are going to come in. And they're going to be able to have a 40-minute conversation just on the items in that room. Everybody has a memory, even if you were a little kid, that you went to Giffords Ice Cream with your mom and dad. So this is therapeutic. Um, We can look at our sensory lounge. So we talked about this a minute ago. Rather than a Snow's room where you literally close them in a room with like, you know, a little tiny room with no windows or kind of scary. Um, this is a sensory room that has two dual purposes. This is Obi that mm-hmm. we talked about. You can see the projector up here. This is the game here. You just sit and move your hands. Um, so that's tactile. This is tactile artwork.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: That's still life, that's, they can futz they can, uh, around with that. Here's our fish tank. Uh, mm-hmm. We know that fish are important, um, but we can change the lighting in here. It's circadian, but even during the day, If Peggy's having a bad day, or even as a group, they just want to have kind of a a meditation session, Mm -hmm. we can go, we can turn this blue, green, pink, yellow. Some people, you know, you talked a minute ago, some people calm down to blue light. Some Mm -hmm. people calm down to pink. Well, let's get to know the residents and ask which color do you like best? Mm -hmm. But they can come in here. Over here is an Alexa speaker that you can say, Alexa, play bird sounds and birds will start chirping. Over here is aromatherapy. You can put some lavender in here. So between the fish tank and the aroma and the sounds and the tactile, this is a very pleasant room. But as you can also see, it's still open on mm-hmm. the other side of this. We're not locking you in a room and making you feel claustrophobic. It's just a nice peaceful place to sit or turn the lights on and play a game.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: A sensory lounge, not a sensory room, but a sensory lounge. Okay, um, like that. Here's a combination of all things combined and we can start to wrap up here, but I wanted to show you, if you come into the reception area, here's our door again, okay? Mm-hmm. But I wanted to show you something we did here that I thought was really cool. I actually had the contractor round this corner off and I had them custom build a round bookshelf and we have a round table. Well, why did we do that? When Peggy comes down this hall, I'm subconsciously pulling her around. Mm-hmm. because she's naturally going to follow the curves and I want her to keep going away from the door, frankly, get distracted by this photo. But if you look at the close-up, we did one other thing. We hung this photo so that you can only see half of it.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: This is a photo of an old department store called Kresge's that eventually became Kmart. But back in the day it was called Kresge's. So we intentionally hung this picture so that when Peggy comes around the corner and it's, this looks a little bit farther than it really is. She's going to see this. She's following the natural curves, but she's also going to see half of the Kresge sign, which she's going to recognize. And mm-hmm. she's going to say, is that Kresge? And she's going to <laughs> keep going right away from the door and right around the corner. And then there's a bunch of other cool photos for her as she goes. Again, and just rapid, coming from the other direction, this is where that Washington Senator's thing is. Mm-hmm. We're pulling them down here. And then we're having them follow the curves. And these curves, again, most family members wouldn't even realize, well, even think about it. Those curves were built, custom built on purpose to mm-hmm. help them wayfind. So this is this is helping with safety, keeping away from the door. It's helping them with direction. And it's also therapeutic. So a lot of these things have multi-purposes.
0: I love that. And I love that you're explaining all this stuff because it's important for people to understand um, how this can be done. Yes. And I and I think it's it's important for, for professionals and, as and families both, you know, to really get these are these are tools. All of these are, are purposeful tools, you know. Yes. That if,
1: and, and- as you've said, th- this is what families should be looking for and asking about. You know, why was this here? What we said earlier, and I think I've just shown you, literally everything in this picture was done for a reason.
0: Mm-hmm. Every
1: single item on the shelf, every little curve in the wall, every little handrail, every, every kind of paint, everything in this room serves a purpose. There's nothing by accident in this room or just tossed in there because it seemed like, you know, uh, it looked nice. It's Mm -hmm. not about looking nice. Even again, the black and white photos were done intentionally. This is the only section between the two wings that's in black and white. Mm -hmm. The other wing, remember, is blue and green and yellow and orange. Why did we make the one spot in the middle in black and white? Well, one, therapeutically it's a reminiscence, but two, it's also now a landmark. Mm -hmm. Sarah knows that she's halfway home when she's in the room with the black and white photos she knows to keep going. There's a very clear demarcation between the wings that we could not have made more obvious to her. Um, but again, in a way that just seems like, oh, what a cool room with black and white photos. But the black and white photos were also on purpose. Mm-hmm. I last, love it. last slide is the nanotechnology we talked about and then you know oh. any questions you have. But yeah, we, look, we have technology now. We didn't have any of this 25 years ago. Uh, the circadian lighting that I talked about—that we can really good circadian lighting, you know, state of the art circadian lighting—that we can program any way we want to really help them keep their their natural uh, sense of rhythm, minimize the sundowning. The OB we talked about—we're the first community in the East Coast, one of the first in the country to have that Mind VR. I know you know about his virtual reality program um, that we were featured in the Washington Post. We know that this is not only great for residents with dementia, but all the residents love it Um, um, to be able to travel or see things or pet puppies. (laughs) Um, um, But we know that virtual reality can really make a world of difference to them. The Alexa that I talked about, something as simple as telling Alexa to play bird sounds Mm -hmm. or music or the old Jack Benny radio show. Um, One day I put on the old Jack Benny radio show and could not believe it. Um, the resident went, oh, my God, I remember that episode. It was on my 16th birthday. And I remember, I mean, she literally remembered. She, she told me who the next guest was going to be. And it was, just, <laughs> it was just mind-blowing that her memory of that, this person with dementia and Alzheimer's, remembered that show that had played on her 16th birthday and who was on it. And it was Alexa that was playing that. So aromatherapy we talked about. That could be individual or group. You know, we can use iPads and tablets to do video visits, right? Um, You don't have to, if your son or daughter lives a thousand miles away, we know we can do this. YouTube, um, I don't know other people have talked, I find YouTube to be one of the greatest resources for reminiscence videos. uh, Mm -hmm. And there's thousands of them. Um, you can find a video on 1950s cars. You can find a video on you know 1960s New York City. Um, you can find a video on uh, 1960s stores. Mm-hmm. Um, um, so uh, YouTube is things that you can put on the TV instead of just turning on the TV to something random. You can play. Finally, robotic pets, we're buying those, we haven't um, got them yet, but we're looking at the next generation of these robotic pets that are much more realistic. Um, you mentioned the cat before. Um, we don't want to have to worry about a cat in the sand, um, but we also don't want to worry about a, some, a little bite or a scratch or you know things like that. Um, sometimes for the animals, it's not a scary environment for them sometimes. It's too big, too many people, Um, but robotic pets, uh, this next generation robotic pets, you know, can be held, can be cuddled um, and these kinds of things. So wrapping up here, but you see safe, directional, therapeutic, and using technology to make it all come together.
0: This has been fabulous. One thing I, I didn't ask you when we were looking at the rooms that I should have, do you have, do you use sensory lighting at all? In terms of, you've got the circadian, but do you have, like, when they walk into the bathroom, the light automatically goes on? Yes, or?
1: actually we do, thanks for bringing, bringing that okay. up, yes. Um, all kinds of things you can do, and and again, I, I would only say to anyone who's really thinking about this, and, you know, they can reach out to me too, but you've got to keep it home, like, mm-hmm. you can't, you know, you, you can't have nothing um, but you also can't make it so that it's just so over the top. It's just too much stimulus, too mm-hmm. too many colors, too many gadgets, too many things going on. Break the spaces down, help them with their spatial literacy, but do it in subtle ways. Help them use their procedural memory to learn how to, how to use the wayfinding cues, the mm-hmm. landmarks, the cueing. Um, And when you bring it all together, it's a wonderful thing. The only thing I'd wrap up with, and I'm sorry I don't have photos, but we're building a courtyard that's the same theme. Um, It's going to be a half of a 1960s backyard with a white picket fence and a picnic table and a clothesline and a birdhouse and a doghouse um, and all that, back porch with rocking chairs. But here's the cool part. They will exit through a white picket fence and there's a mailbox too right there, (laughs) they get the mail, but they will cross a faux street and they will enter on the other half of the courtyard an archway into a park. Um, And the park has a little winding path and a Washington Post newspaper box and an ice cream cart and a fake pond with fake ducks um, and a garden. Um, But what we've done here, I call it the no exit exit. We know they have exit seeking behavior, but we found a way for them to go from the backyard out the gate, cross the street, go to the park, come back from the park, cross the street, come through the gate, go back into the backyard. And they never left the courtyard. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is another way of distracting them from just hanging out at the wall and um, you know trying to figure out how to get out all day. By the way, the wall is a solid whiteboard, mm-hmm. six feet high with two feet of lattice. So we've even kind of eliminated that. But we've got them very focused on this idea that they feel very free and traveling between these destinations, but they're safe. And it's mm-hmm. directional and it's therapeutic. So this is going to be a really, really spectacular memory care that we hope will serve as an example, not just in you know Virginia, but frankly for the industry.
0: Oh, that's wonderful. Um, I, I'm going to mention two other things that you may or may not know about that might be helpful. Um, and this is more kind of TV type things, but I'm just thinking electronics. One is Saltbox TV. And I, and I don't know if you've heard of them, but they are a free online streaming service for senior specifics. So they have a lot of the old movies, TV shows, but they also have entertainment, education, um, lots of different things. They just had a, um, a talent show for people. And it was uh, developed by a, a Broadway producer and his musician wife, singer-songwriter and stuff. And yes. it's just, it's it's really cool what they're uh, doing.
1: You know what? Very helpful. Thank you. I'm going to look into that.
0: Yeah. And then also Zinya TV, which I love because a lot of times, as we know, people with dementia can't follow programming. They have short vignettes of travel and nature and architecture and all kinds of different things yeah. so that people and and I think in this crazy time we could probably all sit down and just get a little comfort from that yep. it's beautiful it's short it's calming which I think can be really really helpful for for everyone
1: I think along those lines and, and we're seeing now the companies developing these really cool products but mm-hmm. thanks for mentioning it you know we do have tvs obviously mm-hmm. these mm-hmm. offices, and they're big screen plasma tvs mm-hmm. um, but it's a hard And fast rule that nothing should ever be on that television that's by accident. We don't just plunk them down in the middle of a soap opera because we have nothing else to do. Um, Uh, with families tour memory care, they need to look and see what's on the TV. And if everybody's just been plunked in front of the TV, frankly, to get them out of the way for an hour, uh, our TV time is scheduled, it's purposeful, it may be an old movie, it Mm -hmm. may be a a YouTube video of 1950s hot rods, um, maybe whatever we think they might like, but it's done on purpose. So, so and, and again, as you mentioned, there are programs and companies out there that are working very hard now uh, to provide this kind of technology specifically for this population.
0: Yeah, well, and I remember you know, my own episode with my own mom cleaning out her closet because she, yeah. she decided nothing in her closet um, could be in there unless it was red because everything <laughs> else wasn't her. So I was cleaning her closet out and we had the TV on in her room and she got so upset. I mean, she was terrified and just crying hysterically. And I didn't realize at the time, I'm like, mom, I'll put everything back if you've changed your mind. I mean, that's what I'm thinking this is about. And then I looked over at the TV and we were bombing Iraq oh. and she, and she thought that was happening right outside the door. Yeah. I turned that off instantly yeah. and people don't understand that we really do have to watch that stuff it impacts them dramatically so i love that you guys are being very intentional with everything that you're doing
1: everything's intentional the, the training's intentional the programming's intentional the design's intentional the technology's intentional by mm-hmm. the way you mentioned your mom's closet we even have special wardrobes where um half it's one half has a glass door mm-hmm. and the other half actually can be locked but we know when they open a big closet and there's so many clothes, that's why they wear the same thing every day. It's overwhelming. Mm-hmm. So what we do is in our wardrobes, we can put their next day clothes in the side with the glass door and their shoes, their whole outfit. But that way, when Sarah gets up in the morning, instead of being overwhelmed by what's in her closet, we have to run down and help her pick something up. She will just open that glass side, see what mm-hmm. she's going dress herself. She can dress herself. She was mm-hmm. just overwhelmed by too many choices. Yep. So we've actually got these special wardrobes that allow her to, mm-hmm. again, dress herself, boost her self-esteem, let the staff focus on the residents who really do need more help. All of these things work together if you just think about that level of detail.
0: I have one last question for you because I think it's, it's one that families ask. Um, and that is, can my can my loved one stay here forever or is there a point where it's too much care and they have to move again?
1: Look, I mean, at the end of the day, it is unfortunately a terminal disease. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Um, It can take, you know, I think the average is about five years, seven years, but it can last 20 years. I mean, Ronald Reagan, we know was afflicted for almost 20 years Mm -hmm. because he was physically a very strong man. Um, But regardless of how long it lasts, this is, unfortunately, whether it's Alzheimer's or related irreversible dementia, it is a disease that destroys the brain over time. It's a horrible, horrible um, affliction. Um, you can't dream up something you know, worse than, 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 than you know, one brain cell at a time um, for years. But it does reach a point where you can't swallow, you can't walk. You do lose your physical abilities. And eventually, you do die from it. Um, um, when you can no longer swallow or even you know, uh, uh, control your, your functions like breathing. So it is very sad, but yes, uh, there is a point where a skilled nursing facility um, is often necessary at the end or hospice or something like that. Um, but it is unfortunately a terminal disease and people need to recognize that.
0: Okay great well thank you andrew for your time today this has just been um, exciting it's been a pleasure to see all the work that you've done and the thought that's gone into this people can visit your website the virginian by just going to live at the virginian.com you're also on facebook Uh, they can put in live at the virginian and uh, you'll pop up and if they want to email uh, andrew you can email him at a And then Carl is C-A-R-L-E, don't forget that E, at carlconsulting.com.
1: They can also, by the way, Google me at Georgetown University. I have an email there too.
0: Well, thank you. Thank you again so much for your time and sharing this wonderful project that you've been working on. I can't wait to to, um, someday personally go see it myself. Well, Laura,
1: you are very welcome. And yes, if you are in Washington, D.C., absolutely find me. I'll be happy to walk you around. There's even more stuff we didn't even get to. Uh, (laughs) We didn't even talk about the fish tanks by the dining room because food intake goes up 17% when there's a fish tank by the dining room. Um, Mm -hmm. So lots of things in there I'd be happy to show you and and feel free to find me.
0: Okay, sounds good. To our listeners, please like, click and share. Um, Don't keep this information to yourself. We covered a lot of good things. And you know, it doesn't do any of us any good if we don't share this knowledge. Um, we can push through and we can serve better both as professionals and as loved ones when we have more knowledge regarding this, this uh, disease and, um, and how to care better. So thank you so much. We'll talk to you next time.